Good morning, SunWest. Welcome back to Church at Home for our last week in Mark. So if you could give a little dance. This is my only dance move. You, you made it. You made it through 26 weeks. 26 weeks of Mark. That is half a year. We spent half a year in the book of Mark. And the world that we are living in now is very different than the world that we were living in when we started this series. It seems like forever ago that we started this series. When we started it, there was professional sports that were just going on as normal on TV. Uh, we were going to movies. We were going to restaurants. Uh, we, you know, we started in February, right before Valentine's Day. So we were all, we all had Valentine's Day plans and we were, uh, you know, planning that date that we were going to go on with that significant other. We were getting ready for the Mexico trip and just planning on doing that. And then that didn't happen. We were gathering regularly for worship services and we, uh, could have never have guessed, never have planned that we would find ourselves here 26 weeks later. Um, and even when everything was changing, we thought, hey, this is probably a quick, uh, quick thing. And, and life, uh, sometimes you just can't plan for it. And so here we are. We're still doing church at home. Uh, and it's been uh, a difficult year for everyone in some way. I think 2020 has been uh, very difficult for everyone, probably except those who make memes. Uh, you know, the people who make memes are having a heyday on uh on 2020, but for everybody else, uh, it's been a tough, it's been a tough go. And I think, uh, it's been timely for us to go through Mark. And I know it's, it's been, uh, like I said, we've done it for half a year and maybe feel like, man, can we get onto something new? Uh, but I have just sensed as we've gone through Mark that for such a time as this, we were supposed to go through Mark because Mark was written at a time where the people of God were flip turned upside down, uh, where, where life was chaotic uh, where they were being, they were struggling, where they didn't know what the future was, where they were trying to figure out where their place was, what, uh, and, and Mark's gospel was written to encourage, uh, a suffering, struggling church to know its hope, to know the significance of its identity, to understand what Jesus has done. And like we talked about last week, no matter what you see on the outside, that there's a different story going on. If we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And so Mark, I think, has been a perfect place for us just to camp out during this this time. We, when we started Mark, we talked about the key themes that we'd be going through. Uh, we talked uh, that Mark wants us to see who Jesus is, Jesus was and who Jesus is. Uh, this is called Christology, the, the understanding of Christ. And, and Mark has gone to great lengths to make sure we understand the depth and the significance of who this person was, Jesus. Uh, he wants us... To understand the way of the cross, that, you know, the, the passion narrative, the crucifixion, it's kind of been this cloud that hangs over the whole story of Mark. Uh, and the whole book is journeying towards, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, and that something cataclysmic, something global, uh, something eternal happened in that moment. Uh, the, the theme of discipleship, that it, it's not just about Jesus, but it's about us and choosing to follow Jesus on the way. And this involves following Jesus on the way to the cross, to a death to self. Uh, we talked about the theme of uh, discernment, uh, having eyes to see and ears to hear. And although uh, Jesus healed blind eyes and deaf ears in the book of Mark, we know that uh, Mark was also trying to show us 
uh, that we are all blinded, that we're all deaf, and, and Jesus wants to heal us, restore our sight, restore our, our hearing so that we can see and hear what God is doing among us. Uh, the theme of the kingdom of God, that Jesus was bringing the kingdom near, he, it was at hand, uh, that uh, that there was a new day coming, there was a new king, uh, and and it and that kingdom had arrived when Jesus uh, came. Uh, and the, also the theme of breaking through barriers, we saw over and over and over again how Jesus broke every kind of barrier that would prevent people from knowing the love and the grace of God. Uh, political barriers, uh, cultural barriers, religious barriers, uh, there was no barrier that he was not willing to break down so that people could know uh, the good news and the love of God and experience his kingdom. And so we find ourselves at the end of Mark. Uh, the, the title of the sermon this morning is called Back to the Beginning. Um, so we're going to go back to the beginning and do another 26 weeks of Mark. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but we do need to think about going back to the beginning because that's actually where Mark's book ends, and we'll, we'll talk about that. So we're looking at 15, chapter 15, verse 38 to 16, verse 8. Uh, and you say, why are you ending at verse 8? If you look in your Bibles, you will see that there's uh, probably there's verse 9 to 20 in your Bibles, uh, but it's italicized. And there's probably a note in your Bibles that's that's mentioned something uh, about how that wasn't in the original manuscripts of, of Mark. And so Mark's gospel ends abruptly in verse 8. It's, it's like a cliffhanger. It's like, that's it. That's the story. I've been following you the whole time on the way, and, and I've been following the story and I'm engaged and then all of a sudden in verse 8 it just feels like uh, it ended and what happened to the ending and many copyists of manuscripts uh, uh, felt that way and so they you know there was uh, later manuscripts that had pieces taken from other gospels and uh, other stories about Jesus that got, got kind of put into the end of Mark because people felt like hey the story is unfinished um, but that's why it's separated out in your Bibles. And I think Mark left the story hanging on purpose. And that's why we need to end, I, I believe, in verse 8 and say, what does this mean? Uh, the pace of Mark, like we talked about last week, is going fast, fast, fast. It slows down into the final week in Jerusalem. And then it slows down into the final watches of the night. And then it slows down to the final hours at the crucifixion. And then there's an abrupt ending. And so what is happening? Uh, and so last week we ended in verse 37. Uh, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And so there's a pause. There's a stop. It's the climactic point of the story. And then where does the ending go? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It's picking up in verse 38. From the top to the bottom. And the temple uh, curtain was the curtain that separated uh, the Holy of Holies, if you remember the week we talked about the temple, we talked about that, this this holy place that only a high priest could go in once a year. Um, that curtain that separated the rest of the world from uh, the holy place uh, was torn in two. And this word torn, it's only used two times in Mark. And uh, everybody say two times. Make sure you're paying attention. Uh, it's only used two times in Mark. The uh, And so... Uh, in Mark chapter, this is this should be uh, reading. Sorry, Mark chapter one, not Mark fifteen. Uh, but when he came up out of the water, this is the first time it's used in Mark chapter one, verse ten. When he came up out of the water, immediately the heavens 
he saw the heavens being torn open and the, beer, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. In the Greek, there is actually literally into him. The, the Spirit was descending into Jesus. So the heavens were torn open. Uh, that, you know, this God, the, you know, the presence of God that was separated from humanity because God was so holy actually came from heaven into the person of Jesus. The heavens were torn open and the Spirit of God was, went into uh, Jesus. This is the first use of it in Mark chapter 1. Um, and so now when we think of this curtain being torn at the end of Mark, uh, Let's think about the significance of that. The Holy of Holies, like I said, the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God that was uniquely there. Uh, and there was no other place on earth uh, that had that unique presence of God. And, and, and Mark is saying that that temple torn in two. And, and so in one way, it's a, it's a critique uh, on the religious system. And, and Mark saying that that temple system, that whole separation between us and God and um, you know, is now done. It's over. It served its purpose and God is doing a new thing. Jesus says in the book of Mark that I will destroy the temple and rebuild it uh, in three days. And so already we knew that at the end of Mark that Jesus was moving from this temple imagery to something different. The kingdom of God was different and he identified himself as the temple. And that makes sense when we go back to Mark chapter one, that the spirit of God went into Jesus and so Jesus, in some ways, is the holy of holies, that he is the unique place on earth where God's presence dwelt unlike any other place in the world. And so Jesus' body is torn in two, so to speak, on the cross. So the, the, the holy of holies in the temple, rip, the curtain ripped, torn in two, Jesus' body torn in two. And, the, and so we see that the barriers that separated from uh, that God from people are gone. The Spirit of God has actually uh, been just, it's been released that, that there's something significant in the crucifixion of Jesus that actually unleashed the presence of God into our world. And if we follow this thought into the New Testament, uh, you know, Jesus says that, you know, I am the temple, I'll destroy the temple. And then Paul goes even further, uh, you know, in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we know the Holy Spirit actually came into God's people, the church. And then Paul says uh, a couple of different times in the New Testament that we uh, collectively, individually are God's temple. That the Holy of Holies is actually inside the person who has confessed Jesus as Lord and has cho chosen to follow him. That we have been given the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. That this mysterious, powerful, holy thing that people could not get close to at one time in history has now become a part of who we are in our identity as children of God. So much going on here. And so the Holy of Holies is torn. Jesus' body is torn. God's spirit is, is, is released. Uh, and we see that fully as we get into the New Testament uh, in Acts chapter 2 and beyond. And, and God's kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven, that this, this whole kingdom mission movement is being accomplished in this moment on the cross where Jesus' body is torn. And when the centurion, this, this Roman official who stood facing him, watching this happen as Jesus on the cross being torn in two, uh, saw that in this way, in the crucifixion, in the suffering, uh, he breathed his last and he said, uh, truly this was the Son of God. 
Truly, this was the Son of God. And here's a another phenomenal reference, but this is the only other time. Two times. Again, everybody say two times. There's only two times in in Mark that we we that Jesus is confessed as the Son of God. In Mark chapter one, where we, the reader of Mark, get to know that uh, in the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and nobody else has actually confessed the identity of Jesus in this way until the end of Mark. And Mark chooses a Roman official, a centurion, who had a hand in the crucifixion to actually see the truth of what was happening and confess with his lips that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark's text says the centurion is responding to something he sees in the way that Jesus died. He had seen thousands and thousands of people die. This, you know, crucifixion was not, it's not, was an anomaly for Jesus. This was a regular practice in Rome. And there's something unique about what he is observing in the person of Jesus in this moment that would cause him to say, truly, this was the Son of God. Some manuscripts also refer to the centurion saying, when the centurion, or, or the text saying that when the centurion heard his cry and saw. And we see the themes of Mark coming again, that that this guy had the ability to see and hear what other people were not seeing and hearing. This non-Jew is the first to see and hear what Mark told us all the way back in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And then there were also women looking from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And so this is a surprise to us as the reader. We thought there was just, you know, these these male disciples that were kind of hanging out with Jesus. Uh, but we find out in this moment that women have been disciples of Jesus, that they've been following him all along. And women were not valued as witnesses in the first century Jewish context. They were seen uh, as less than human as less than males uh so to speak we talked about that quite a number of weeks ago Uh, but mark considers the testimony of these women as we'll see uh, as valid they became they became uh witnesses of the death burial and resurrection of jesus he chooses women to actually bring the testimony and at the time if uh you know there's some theories out there that you know the resurrection was you know fabricated and uh you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if, if Mark and other gospel writers wanted to make up a story for people to believe, they would not have chosen women to be the witnesses. Uh, in fact, the lack of testimony that a woman would have had actually, uh, actually gives us confidence in the authenticity of the story itself. That this is actually what happened. Um, and so, up until this point, we thought, you know, there's just these 12 guys following Jesus and crowds, but now we learn that there was significant disciples of Jesus that were, uh, that were women that were included in this, in the group. Um, and in, in more than that, these women stand in stark contrast to the disciples because the disciples, those 12 guys, uh, aren't anywhere to be found at this point in the story. They've all fled. They've abandoned Jesus. And we see that these women, uh, stick with Jesus longer, stick with Jesus further. Uh, that they become witnesses uh, to this moment. And they have served him and they have walked the discipleship road with him and they have accompanied him all the way to the cross. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, 
a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should already have died and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were all, uh, sorry, saw where he was laid. So we see these women as, as witnesses here. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Siloam brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. So just a quick reference here, so that they might go and anoint him. This this should cause our minds to go back to Mark 14. Do you remember that story where the sinful woman was actually anointing Jesus and pouring perfume on Jesus? Uh, and and we just reminded that she has done a beautiful thing. This is Mark 14 for you. You've always had the poor with you and wherever you want and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand uh, beforehand for burial. So this sinful woman, so we got the centurion, the Roman, uh, this guy who was kind of uh, an enemy of the Jews on the outside looking in, confesses Jesus, son of God. And we also have this woman, the sinful woman, uh, who, who shouldn't have been allowed uh, close to Jesus, who is now... Uh, being identified as the woman who had the opportunity and the privilege and the honor of anointing the body of Jesus before his burial. Why did she anoint him before his burial? Because, uh, and why does Jesus mention this? Because he knew that there would be no time to anoint him uh, after. Sorry, why does Mark mention this? Uh, because there was no time to anoint him after. The, the, the women who went to the tomb, they, they missed the opportunity. Uh, but that sinful woman in Mark 14 uh, had that extravagant uh, act of worship where she anointed Jesus' body. So Mark 16, uh, verse 3, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. This is the foundation of the Christian hope. If the resurrection did not happen, I am a fool. That's what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 15. But if the resurrection did happen, it changes everything. And the follower of Jesus believes in the resurrection because that is our true hope. That is the beacon uh, that we, uh, that, that orients our lives. That is the light in which we see, in which we live. And Jews believed in a final resurrection. What was a surprise though was that one person would be resurrected before everyone else. But what we know now is that it is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we too can have hope and assurance of a future resurrection. What happened to Jesus gets to happen to us. But in order to do that, we must die, not only physically, but Mark's message is that we must die to self. We must die to being the Lord of our own lives, to running our own lives. We must actually come behind Jesus and follow him as king. Mark says, don't cling to your life. Lose it for the sake of Jesus. Once you die to yourself, you can live for Christ. You can have hope of resurrection. Uh, The rejected one has actually become the victor, and the resurrection is the coronation of Jesus as king who has conquered all. This is the foundation of our hope. 
that we know that there is a love and a grace and a power that is beyond sin and death because of what Jesus has done. And so we willingly bend our knee and bow and follow Jesus because we have the hope of resurrection. Jesus was resurrected first. He was not there. He was alive. And we look forward to the day because of what he has done uh, where we can experience resurrection life. Verse 7, but go. Uh, this, this, this man uh, who's glowing and white uh, tells the, the female disciples, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Gal- Galilee. So let me just pause here. He, the Greek text says, tell his disciples and even Peter. It's, it's saying, like, Peter is the disciple that abandoned Jesus. He's the one that proclaimed that he was going to follow him, and he is the one, uh, he is the one that was, uh, quick to abandon Jesus for comfort. Uh, and even though he was the one that confessed Jesus, he was the first one to unconfess him. And, and so, so Peter is in this bit of a predicament. And, and this, uh, this angel, uh, is telling the women, like, tell the disciples, but even tell Peter. Even Peter is not too far gone. Even uh, even tell him this good news, that he is going before you. Jesus is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they had said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So here we have the women who have followed Jesus, who have been faithful disciples up to this point. They've been witnesses, and now they fail as well. The women have heard, they have seen, they've been instructed uh, by the angel to go and tell. Go tell everybody to meet Jesus back in Galilee. And they don't. And here's the truth that we should see now, now that we've read all of Mark's gospel, that everyone in the story has failed. Everyone is a failure except for Jesus. Jesus was faithful to the very end. And even those who were uh, most faithful disciples of Jesus, even they dropped the ball and failed at the end of the story. And so the instruction from the angel is to go back to Galilee. Go back to where it started. Go back to the beginning. And so in some ways, as we come to the end of Mark, we actually come back to the beginning, uh, just as the story of Mark does. And in the beginning of Mark, we saw that we started here in Galilee, and it ended here on the cross of Jerusalem. And the angel saying, go from Jerusalem back to Galilee. This is a 126-kilometer journey. Uh, and he, they're saying, if you go there, you'll see Jesus. He'll be there. You will physically see him. Uh, but that journey is going to take some faith. That journey is going to take some action. If, you know, you, you know, we don't have... The vehicles we have today, we don't even have like the Nike runners we have today. You know, you got your thongs, your sandals, you know, get walking, get trucking. You got a long 126 kilometer journey back to where it started. But when you get there, when you respond in action and faith and you believe what I say, not just believe it with your mind, but actually act on it and go back, you will find Jesus there. Go back to the beginning where it all started. And so we go back to the beginning. We go back to Mark 1, verse 1. And it says, as we've read, the beginning of the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the first verse of Mark is very difficult to understand because it's not clear what the beginning is referring to. Is the line at the beginning of Mark referring to the good news story that Mark has written? This is the beginning of the gospel story. And when you get to verse, or when you get to chapter 16, that'll be the end of the gospel story. You could read it that way. 
or you could refer or you could read the beginning as referring to this whole gospel is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Chapters 1 through 16 is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. This is the beginning of the story. And that's what I think. I think the beginning being referred to right, right here is not the book of Mark, but uh, or is not the beginning of the book of Mark, but it's referring to the story of Jesus that Mark is describing. That this is the beginning, but the story is not finished yet. It ends with an invitation for Jesus' disciples and Mark's readers to go back to the beginning and make that their new beginning. We see, as we read the story of Mark again, now that we have eyes to see and ears to hear, that everyone fails on the way of following Jesus, but we get to keep writing the story. The story is not over. This is just the beginning of the story. We are continuing to keep starting again, and we're going to fail again, and then we're invited to go back to the beginning and start again, that we'll meet Jesus there. That there's a, there's a proponent to faith every time we fail. And, but God invites us to journey back, to take action, to ask for forgiveness, to follow Him again, that we keep meeting Jesus and we keep, uh, are, we keep getting invited to follow Him again. The disciples who tried to follow Jesus failed. They were invited to humble themselves and go back to the beginning. Even Peter, the one who confessed the most and also failed, uh, because of that, probably the furthest, he fell the furthest. Uh, he was invited to humble himself, to go back to the beginning, to experience the grace and follow Jesus again. The women who were unnamed, who were unnoticed, that we didn't even know were there. And now we find out in the end that they were faithful up until a point, but even them, after all that time, failed to do what they were asked to do. The centurion, the Roman, who had his hand in the crucifixion of Jesus, is invited to go back to the beginning and start again. To you, who are a doubter, who have questions, who are still trying to figure out who this Jesus is, you are invited to go back to the beginning and experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and to try following him again. To you try hard, who might, <laughs> who might relate to Peter, uh, you've just tried to follow Jesus over and over again and you find yourself failing and failing and failing and the invitation is to go back to the beginning and experience his grace and forgiveness and an invitation to follow him again. To you who have fallen, to you who have messed up, to you who have been silent, maybe like the women when, uh, when you weren't supposed to be silent, to you who said things when you weren't supposed to say things or did things that were harmful to yourself or others, to you who have had harm done to them by others, the invitation for every person, for every nation, for every individual, no matter your story, is to go back to the beginning, to humble yourself, to receive forgiveness, and to follow Jesus, and to know that even when you fail as a disciple, because it happens, that Jesus always invites us back to the beginning. And that the story that started 2,000 years ago is still unfinished, we can have the hope because of the resurrection of where it's going to end, but he invites us to be a part of writing that story today. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Lord. Mark wanted us to see it. And the reason the story ends so abruptly in 16 verse 8 is because Mark is asking you and me the question, how does the story end? He didn't finish the story because the story's not finished. So may you and I follow Jesus on the way, experience his life, his grace, his forgiveness, 
and know that because of what he's done, that we can have hope uh, for the future and be a part of writing his story today. Thank you uh, for journeying with us in the book of Mark. I trust that it's been an encouragement to you. It's been an encouragement uh, to me. Uh, And I have been challenged, but also encouraged to keep following Jesus no matter what I see and experience in the world around me. Uh, Blessings to you, Son West. Uh, Looking forward to being together soon uh, as we kick off our services and regather again on September 20th. Okay, our last uh, going deeper to leave you with as we end Mark. Uh, We now get a glimpse of the good news, the gospel that Mark began his book with in 1 verse 1. You can start again. I can start again. There's grace for me and for you. There's grace, there's forgiveness, there's invitation, there's empowerment because of the Spirit of God. Where do you need grace? Where do you need God to empower you with courage to follow him on the way? Pray and ask him uh, where those needs are and then invite him to fill those needs, to give you the courage, to give you uh, to, to receive grace. Uh, we started the series with an invitation to read the whole book of Mark. And so here's my challenge to you as we end. Now that you've journeyed through it slowly, read it again from start to finish this week. I think often we're just like, okay, we're done. Let's move on to something else. But I find in my life that when God teaches me something, uh, it takes years for it to sink in to my being. Uh, And I remember when I first started studying Mark and I got through to the end of it, I actually spent another six months in it uh, just because I found there was so much that God was leading me and challenging me in in the book. uh, I just couldn't move on quickly. It needed to soak in. And so I would invite you not to just jump ahead and be like, oh, we're done with Mark, but actually pause, stop, go back through the story of Mark, read it from start to finish over the course of this next week. Reflect on what you see and hear now that you read it again. What is God's invitation to you? What is he challenging you with? How will you live differently now in light of what you have seen and what you have heard? How will you follow Jesus on the way? Let me pray for you. Um, and for us as we continue to follow Jesus on the way. Lord, we thank you uh, for those early disciples that had the foresight to write down and record what they they had seen, what they had heard, uh, what you had taught, uh, the things that you did. I thank you for that gift that we can now look back 2,000 years later and still be encouraged by what you did, by what you said, still be challenged. We thank you that the good news, the gospel, is not just something that happened back then, but it's something that keeps happening today. We thank you that you invite us to experience uh, new beginnings, regardless of what our story is, that you invite us to a new beginning and that we are always invited back to follow you. So I pray for courage for each person listening, that they would take up the cross and follow you. I pray for encouragement uh, where they have failed and uh, that you would encourage them with your forgiveness and with your grace and that you would speak Uh, their identity over them, that they are sons and daughters of God. And and no matter what they've done, the invitation is always to come back and to follow. And so we thank you for new beginnings. We thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. Um, And we trust that you are leading us in our church in this season. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 